I honestly had never heard about how like fevers and illness and viruses and stuff could affect milk supply. So how can a mom know when it's a problem? Hi, I'm Jacqueline Carmen, and I'm a certified breastfeeding counselor. And I'm Ruth Green, an international birth doula. And this is the Having a Baby in China podcast. As a reminder, nothing shared on this podcast should be taken as medical advice. One should always seek advice from their own medical provider. Hey, Jacqueline. Hey, Ruth. Good to see you. How are you feeling? It's good to see you too. <clears throat> I'm slowly recovering. I think I think today is a little bit better than yesterday, but I'm really just surprised how crummy I feel. And this is day like eleven for me. Yeah. But I am excited that we had an interview with a doctor last night to talk about pregnancy and COVID, and so we're going to go into that recording here in just a moment. But there has been so many comments; it feels like over and over again about this milk supply that breastfeeding moms are noticing a lack of supply while fighting COVID. So we wanted to take a moment to just talk about that before going into the interview. Yeah, there's definitely been a lot of moms that have noticed. I think a lot of pumping moms, especially, but there's a lot of moms that are breastfeeding at the breast that also feel like their supply seems to be a little bit lower than what they normally would feel. So I'm always curious when people start mentioning a lack of supply. How much is perceived lack of supply, and how much is like a true lack of supply? In other words, how much is baby just nursing, 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 and so mom thinks, oh, I don't have any milk. Because I remember thinking that with my first, especially towards the end of the day, like baby just wanted to nurse and nurse and nurse, and I was like, I don't have any milk, and that's why the baby's nursing. But it was probably more that she was building my supply and just wanted like that comfort at the end of the day. And how much of it is like a true lack of supply? So, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, a lot of moms say that, and it was explained to me once. This is kind of aside from COVID, but it's theorized that a baby—we all know that a baby has this huge desire to suck, and that innate need to suck plays into their survival. If they didn't have that need to suck, then they wouldn't request to breastfeed, which means they wouldn't get nutrition, they wouldn't have milk. But then it also plays into their comfort. And breastfeeding is more than just food; it covers a wide range of needs that the baby has. And you know, one of course is the thirst and hunger, but then there's the comfort and the warmth and the bond. So that drive to Suck plays into that satisfying the baby's need.、Mm-hmm. So yeah, like you mentioned, maybe in the evening a mom's supply isn't quite as much as it is in the morning, and there's a lot of things that can play into that. But one theory is that a baby needs that comfort and doesn't necessarily need all those calories in the evening.、Mm-hmm. And so having all that sucking can help soothe them, comfort them, and you know they still are drinking, and it's always difficult to know exactly how much they're getting. But you know they're also usually you'll find after those what we'll call cluster feeding in the evenings is that then the baby will have a little longer stretch through that first part of the night. So going back to COVID, there hasn't been any evidence to show that there is. A decrease in milk, you know, nothing about COVID specifically causes a mother's milk supply to drop. However, whenever a mother is sick, 
their body starts to, you know, they have this virus that they're fighting in their body. And so the body turns toward fighting that. And that's the first priority, you know, and then making milk would be below that. So what kind of a, a mom's body only has so much energy? And when it's really sick, then it's putting a lot of the energy into fighting the virus, fighting the fever, fighting those things. Yeah. And that maybe takes some of the energy away from making milk. So there could be a bit of a dip. Yeah. And usually this this should be just a temporary dip that like a mother may feel. You know, something else that plays into it is that you run a fever and then you're you become like maybe a little more dehydrated. Mhm. So making sure that you're drinking enough and eating as well because that also plays into it and when we're not feeling well oftentimes we'll forget to drink enough or eat enough so that our body can actually continue the function of making the milk for a baby Mm -hmm. so i would totally emphasize and stress that when you're feeling sick and you're fighting you know any illness to make sure to take care of yourself Make sure you're drinking plenty and and eating enough as much as, you know, you your body can. Because sometimes when you feel ill, you just don't, you know, want to eat a lot. The other thing is rest. Oftentimes when we're sick, we're not sleeping well either. So that can also play a factor into, into all of that. Another factor that can play into this decrease in milk is stress. Mm-hmm. Stress play is has a huge impact on our body and it can affect milk supply. You know, the oxytocin, which is the happy hormone, is what produces milk. And so when you have raised cortisol levels, which is the stress hormone, that can see a, a dip in supply. Mm-hmm. And so when we're fighting excuse my voice, when we've gotten sick with COVID, a mother can feel very fearful because we've been avoiding it for so long and now we're sick. So you have that stress of I'm sick. And then we also are are taking care of this tiny baby Mm -hmm. and our children. And we, as mothers, we want to protect our children. And so that can cause a lot of stress as well. You know, we don't want to do harm to our babies. And so I think just keeping that in perspective of, that can cause a, you know, a temporary dip in supply as well. So there may be less of a dip than we think there is because baby's nursing so much. But there also could be a true dip because of the exhaustion that we're feeling, the fatigue, the fever, our body putting reserves towards fighting the virus mm-hmm. and then us also getting a bit dehydrated which can affect supply and us feeling really stressed out and so our cortisone levels raising and that also can affect the supply so kind of a lot of factors are going into this mm-hmm. when should we be worried about our supply or the baby yeah yeah this is something that we do want to look at so The main thing is you're looking for just dehydration in the baby. You know, it's quite possible that your baby is also not feeling very well because of the sickness that's going on in the house. And so because of that, the baby can increase its demand for breastfeeding. And so they're wanting to breastfeed more. And oftentimes as a mom, when we see that, we're like, oh, this baby keeps asking to breastfeed. 
I must not have enough milk. Sometimes it's just because, you know, the baby doesn't feel well and it's seeking comfort. When sucking, sucking is actually a way to relieve pain for the baby. Mm. So a baby will ask to breastfeed because they're seeking comfort and pain relief. But all the time I'm watching the baby trying to decipher Is the baby actually drinking? The key thing that we want to look for is the diapers. Like, is the baby continually having wet diapers? And of course, you know, like if the baby is not feeling well as well, that you could also see a little bit of decrease because the baby's temperature may have raised, which then can cause some dehydration, which of course at that point, we want to continue and encourage more breastfeeding so that the baby doesn't become dehydrated. And we talked about this in a previous episode, and I'm sure we can link again, Mm -hmm. like the signs of dehydration in a baby. So if baby's just asking to nurse a lot, then that maybe isn't a concerning, you know, it could be that your milk supply is a little bit lower. It could be that they're seeking comfort. It could be that they are actually fulfilling their own need for extra fluids by nursing so much. But the point when we get concerned are when we see like a pretty severe drop in diaper count Mm -hmm. or any of these other symptoms that we talked about in the previous episode. And we'll, like you said, we'll put the link in the show notes. So definitely check that out. I think this is important for every parent to know the signs of dehydration, just wanting to nurse a whole lot or maybe having only five diapers instead of six diapers you know, those are those are kind of like warning signs or things to be watching. But if we start seeing these other things having to do with like the sunken fontanelle or drops down to just only a couple diapers or it's really, really dark and smelly, like these are the times when we're like, oh, we need to actually step in and take action and and seek more support. Yeah. And another thing to remember back with the baby not feeling well, oftentimes moms are finding that the baby isn't asking to or isn't actually taking in as much milk as they were previously. And this, again, like when you feel not well, right? Mm -hmm. You're not as hungry as before, right? So I think it probably found more in the bottle-fed babies. You know, their parents are seeing that they're not drinking as much as they were. And, And so, again, like just keeping an eye on making sure they are staying hydrated. And again, as we've said before, up until six months, there isn't need to add anything like a Pedialyte drink or water, just breast milk. Mm -hmm. And even up through two years, breastfeeding, if the baby is willing to breastfeed, that's the the best for them. Um, But yeah, back to the supply thing. If a baby isn't feeling well, then they could actually not request to breastfeed a lot and so then that could again the supply and demand if the milk isn't being removed then it can cause a temporary dip in the supply Mm -hmm. and so again just being aware of the baby how often they are drinking if you if you're a mom that the baby isn't asking to breastfeed frequently if they're willing to latch you know trying to just encourage that you know doing a lot of skin to skin can also help healing because of the oxytocin release and also help with the milk supply and making sure that the baby is getting enough okay good 
And if you do notice the signs of dehydration, seek medical attention as soon as possible. Again, this isn't like, a, oh, we'll see how it goes in a day or two. If you're seeing any of the ones on the list that we'll link below uh, that are kind of severe signs, they're, they're get help now signs, not let's wait it out. So, well, thanks, Jacqueline, for helping us. I mean, I honestly had never heard about how like fevers and illness and viruses and stuff could affect milk supply. So it was good to hear like a professional's advice on what the causes behind that might be and and how somebody can kind of separate like, oh, baby just is feeling needy and wanting to cling more versus like there's a true supply. So thanks for doing that. Yeah. And I think just remembering moving forward that this should be just a temporary drop and that continuing to breastfeed on demand, your supply will even out, the baby will feel better and you know you should get back into the swing of things. You're on day 11 and you're still like feeling a little bit crummy and you know I'm on day, I don't know, three weeks and I have just a little bit of congestion still, right? So mm-hmm. these babies are still like recovering and getting better and also giving yourself space to rely on your body that it it is on its way up you're working together you will get through this all right well thanks again and uh from here we're going to go into our interview with dr gloria in shanghai Welcome back. Tonight we're talking with Dr. Gloria Vreeland. Thank you so much for joining us and um, being willing to talk to us about being pregnant and having COVID. Yes, thank you so much for being with us. Sure. Dr. Gloria, would you mind just introducing yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to China. I'm Dr. Gloria Vreeland. I'm originally from California, lived there for 50 years, then got transferred with my husband to North Carolina for 13. And we decided after taking a perspectives class to move to China and work. And we've been here five and a half years. I've been in practice 40 years altogether. I have three children myself. I live in Shanghai and I practice at Shanghai United Family Hospital. All right. Uh, So let's go ahead and I'll start asking some questions. Dr. Gloria, are pregnant moms at a higher risk for getting and contracting COVID? Well, so I don't think they're at higher risk for contracting it. Um, They're probably at higher risk if they're out in the public or if they have other children, Mm -hmm. because uh, Mm -hmm. often children are the ones who bring it home to them. Yeah, that makes sense. And then when a pregnant mom gets COVID, are they at higher risk for developing complications? Well, so early in pregnancy, the statistics show that you are not at any increased risk for miscarriage in the first trimester. The second trimester seems to be pretty stable. The end of the pregnancy, there are more earlier births and occasionally more stillborn, Mm. okay? And this is uh, not from China statistics because we haven't had very many on that yet. Mm -hmm. This is from basically both uh, Europe and the US. 
Yeah, I was actually thinking the other day, you know, with how strict China has been with trying to keep COVID at bay, there's been a lot of, you know, now we have two, three years of data from other countries that we right. can glean from now um, as we in China are facing COVID firsthand. Yes. About the COVID vaccines, uh, what are some options here that are available for pregnant and breastfeeding moms? And are there ones that you would recommend more than another? Well, so unfortunately in China, we only have the two varieties of Chinese vaccines, and they are not indicated for uh, pregnant women or breastfeeding moms, and so far cannot be given. In other countries, they are encouraging women, even if they are pregnant or planning a pregnancy or breastfeeding, to get COVID vaccines. But that's typically your mRNA vaccines like Pfizer or Moderna. Well, that's interesting because I know we have heard of like depending city by city that some moms have said that they were allowed to get it or they weren't allowed to get it. So um, the variation is that even in Shanghai, it's district by district for vaccine practices. Okay. So ours in Chaning district could be slightly different than a different other district. But it is true that at our hospital, we are not allowed to give a COVID vaccine to a pregnant woman. Okay, that's good to know. And then I've heard mixed about breastfeeding moms. And I think, you know, Leche League released that it was safe. And I think I've heard other places in China saying that breastfeeding moms could get vaccinated. But I've also heard of some clinics saying, no, if you're breastfeeding, you can't. So China is very strict about their Chinese vaccines on who can get that. I, originally when they came out, I had patients that were just on thyroid medicine or even on blood pressure or cholesterol medicine that they were told they couldn't have the vaccine. And uh, there is no real justification for that whatsoever. I'm afraid that China, like in many cases, is just lagging behind the evidence from other countries. But of course, other countries have not used the Chinese vaccine. Yeah. Our hospital in Beijing originally did some studies, but it had more to do with once the vaccines were starting to be given, is they kept track of side effects and complications. Uh -huh. And they, they really didn't find any significant side effects or complications, any reasons to keep people from getting the vaccine. The thing you should understand about the Chinese vaccines is they are made the same way that a flu vaccine is made every year. It is an inactivated virus. But the difficulty is that compared to the mRNA, it's not as effective. Yeah. Now, China currently is testing their version of an mRNA vaccine in Indonesia. But with the outbreak that we've had of COVID, by the time that gets fully licensed and brought to the country, it may be that most people have already had COVID. Mm -hmm. Do you know the research and numbers on once you've had COVID, I know in the States, they were still recommending to get a booster vaccine, even if you've had it. Sure. Do you know any data on that? And would that, do you think the 
China government would encourage that here? So the original recommendation for like Pfizer or Moderna vaccine is that you their initial series is one shot and then three weeks to four weeks later. And then after that would be a three-month booster. Now, there's been no definite recommendation on the next booster, although many people have gotten it six months after that three-month booster. Mm. I would expect in the future, because this is what they're really looking at, is that it may be that once a year you get a COVID vaccine along with, say, a flu vaccine, Mm -hmm. and that perhaps some company will come out with a combined vaccine each year for that. Okay. Now, the Pfizer and Moderna both have newer mRNA vaccines that cover more of the variants. So, for instance, when I go back to the U.S. in February, I'm planning to get that one as a booster. Mm, Okay. Oh, so that's good to know. So can you mix vaccines, so to speak? Like if you've had a couple of shots of a vaccine here in China and then you go back to your home country, can you get a different vaccine once you're there? Right. But sometimes you kind of have to push for it. So, for instance, I've had three of the Chinese vaccines because it was required for me to work in the hospital. Mm -hmm. But then just coincidentally, I was able to get four different Pfizer vaccines because I went to the consulates to supervise their giving the vaccines. And there happened to be some left over. The trouble is once you open the vial, you have to use it within a few hours. Okay. And that's also the reason that if you go to another country or go back to the U.S., that you want to make an appointment to get the vaccine because the pharmacy doesn't want to open one vial and waste five vaccines. I see. They want to use them all the same day, really within a few hours. Okay. Yeah. And that's some of the limitations of the vaccine, but it's doable as long as you plan. Yeah, that's interesting. I did not know that. So going back to our pregnant mom, COVID has just kind of exploded in China. And now she either has had COVID or is going through COVID or is likely going to get COVID. It's a bit scary to hear that they are at a higher risk of complications in the third trimester. What's like the absolute risk to her and the baby? And, you know, do you have any kind of words of comfort about that? Well, so we do consider pregnant women to have a little bit of impaired immunity when it comes to infections, especially ones that are new like COVID. Mm -hmm. Studies have shown that in general, women with COVID do perfectly fine, but there's going to be a few in any large study or large group who have more complications. If you were outside of China in another country, at least the US for sure, A pregnant woman can be given, for instance, Paxlovid if she has a severe case of COVID. Now, usually that would occur within like the first five days that you would have severe uh, respiratory problems. And that would be signaled by, you know, increased uh, breathing rate and a low oxygen level. It's something that's very easily measured when you first would present to a hospital or a clinic. The problem is that Paxlovid, even though it is in the country in China, is not indicated for pregnant women at this time. Mm, Yeah. So an example would be like the flu. 
again, in a very bad year of a brand new change in the flu, like 2009, when there was wine flu surge, there were increased deaths. But even then, the death rate was 1.2%, okay? Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, that's about the same death rate for COVID once they have all the statistics from the U.S. When it first hit the states, it hit a nursing home first, so there were a lot of elderly people and many more deaths right off the bat. But then when you average them over the entire country, weren't particularly higher than the flu. But even the flu can attack sometimes young people that otherwise appear to be healthy, pregnant women, and even recently delivered women. And there will be some deaths, but it's not a particularly high rate. It's interesting that you bring up the swine flu because I actually was pregnant when the swine flu went through China and I was working full time in a school. And I remember going to my boss and saying, you know, if swine flu comes to our city, like I'm I'm out, I'm staying home. (laughs) Well, the ironic thing was that swine flu hit our school, but we didn't realize it. Maybe I shouldn't say for sure that we had swine flu because it was never tested or verified. But we had two thirds of our students out over a two week period in the middle of the swine flu and it met all of the symptoms and everything. But for some weird reason, I didn't actually get it. And so it was just one of those things where it it didn't, things didn't click into place until everybody already had it. I ended up going to work and teaching every single day through it and was perfectly fine. I think sometimes it can be really scary when we hear these numbers, uh, but in most cases, things turn out okay. Yes. So back to the pregnant mom who's, contracted COVID, Dr. Gloria, when would you suggest that they should head to the hospital? Well, it would be because of breathing problems. So increased respiratory rate. You know, it is easy to get your oxygen checked on a pulse oximeter. During COVID, I have already found a number of patients who just purchased one online. And so they've checked their oxygen level at home already. But, you know, of course, you have to be able to know that your machinery is actually accurate. But certainly it is. And that's one of the standard vital signs we check in the hospital now anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's always easy to test. I'm curious, do you know, do any of these watches for pulse oximeter like work? Mine has the option on there and I've been super curious. I've, I've tested it a couple of times and I've been 99, 98. Right. And that would be normal. Yeah. So I don't know how accurate they are if it goes down under 94, which is what we would be looking for. Okay. And of course, we wouldn't be talking about it being under 94 for one second, we're talking about it being persistently under, Mm. and you would be breathing much more rapidly than normal. Okay. So medicines safe for breastfeeding and pregnant moms for COVID, what is safe for pregnant moms? And then I know it's a lot less for pregnant moms, but then also for breastfeeding moms. And then yeah, what is available here? So the safest medicine for a fever would be acetaminophen or Tylenol, or some countries call it paracetamol, but it is the same drug. And that is perfectly acceptable during pregnancy for headaches, fever. Now, there would be special cases where women may be able to use anti-inflammatories like ibuprofen, but not near the end of pregnancy because it may increase the chance of bleeding with delivery. 
Okay. So cough medicine, most standard cough medicine that's like dextromethorphan is considered safe in pregnancy. The difficulty is that we would say less medicine in general to pregnant women. So in other words, if you have a terrible stuffy nose, it is probably smarter to just rinse the nose with seawater or saline mm. than to take any medication for it. Okay. And the same would apply typically during breastfeeding. Okay. Now, there are a whole list of medicines that are acceptable for breastfeeding because there's a much wider spectrum once the child is born. Mm -hmm. And even late in pregnancy, what you're looking at is, does it affect the growth of the child or does it increase your chance of bleeding at the end of pregnancy? If it's much earlier on, many of those medicines can be used. But in general, we'd say to, to pregnant or breastfeeding, less medicine is best. That makes sense. So it's not necessarily never in pregnancy, but definitely if it can be avoided or if there's an alternative, go for that first. Sure. I only learned through the research and talking to doctors about the risk of ibuprofen being about bleeding around delivery and so, or, you know, one of the risks of ibuprofen. So that's important to understand of why, you know, it would be discouraged to take towards the end of pregnancy. And then it's kind of this double whammy of COVID has more cases of preterm birth, right? So normally you might not be thinking about delivery at 33, 34 weeks, but with COVID there's a slight increase risk of the preterm birth. So putting those two together isn't a great idea. What about somebody who has just found out that they're pregnant and they have COVID? Is there any need or indication that they should terminate the pregnancy? Uh, no. There's no evidence that there are more birth defects with women who have had COVID already and have delivered in, you know, the time since the U.S. and especially U.K., but probably all of Western Europe has studied it. There doesn't appear to be an increase in miscarriages or an increase in birth defects. So with somebody who's either struggling with COVID or maybe they're afraid of getting COVID, is there a need to be skipping any appointments or like should they avoid going to appointments at the end of pregnancy? Well, of course, at the end of pregnancy, the whole reason the visits are more often is because the that things may change. For instance, there's women who develop gestational diabetes at the end. One of the purposes of checking the urine test is to see if a woman is spilling sugar or if she's spilling protein. Mm -hmm. And protein is a sign potentially for preeclampsia, okay? Mm -hmm. um, also measuring the blood pressure. So if the blood pressure goes up, if a woman starts to have a lot of swelling of the ankles, that also could indicate preeclampsia. And that can be a danger both to the baby and to the mom. And it can come on very, very suddenly. So it's important to be going every single week so you catch those changes. Right. So now in China, the one nice thing they do is the hospital has, you know, a separate area for OB patients. They also have a separate area for well children going just for vaccines and for sick children. Currently, anybody showing up at the hospital with a fever is also sent to a separate area. They are not allowed on the normal examination uh, areas. But of course, I would wear a mask and wash my hands and be careful of what I've touched since I've been there. 
to try and prevent catching COVID. So you're saying that, especially at the end of pregnancy, although a pregnant person who develops COVID has a very, a slightly higher risk for preterm birth, but the risk of these other things like gestational diabetes and preeclampsia and all these are, are still higher that you would say it's still more important to stay and, and get those checked out than to be afraid of catching COVID. Correct. But to take at least normal precautions. Yeah. Mm, yes. We're not licking doorknobs. <laughs> <laughs> what does delivering when you're COVID positive in your hospital look like now? Do you know? They would keep them separated if they were COVID positive. And the typically our, our hospital, it's individual rooms and the baby would room in with you. So provided the baby didn't show signs of illness or anything else that need to be tested in the nursery, they would spend most of the time with the mother. Now, as far as you know, are there still some hospitals that when a COVID pregnant person gives birth, that they would take their baby away and be separated? Well, they would take the baby away uh, probably initially just to test it in basic ways, checking its respirations and if it was early, checking the blood sugar and things like that. But they still allow the baby to be with the mom. But I can imagine that you might in public hospitals run into more restrictions than we have at our hospital. Mm -hmm. For hospitals that have a practice of skin-to-skin or delayed cord clamping, is it still encouraged to do those just as you would with any other pregnancy? Yes, and, and especially the breastfeeding because the mom can still pass immunity to the baby by breastfeeding. And in fact, I recently had a conversation trying to get a mother who was planning not to breastfeed to say, this is the safest thing for your baby. You really need to consider doing this, whether you physically breastfeed or whether you pump your milk and still give it to the baby. So it's important to be keeping them together as much as possible and doing the skin to skin to promote the breastfeeding and everything else, because those are actually what's going to protect the baby more, even if mom is COVID positive. Yes. So I know that there are some moms in our groups that have experienced and and possibly will experience when they are positive that their baby will be taken away and they'll be separated, unfortunately. So these cases do you have any tips and ideas to help, like especially if they're wanting to breastfeed, how they can best prepare themselves and then moving forward, you know, in this situation? Well, so for instance, with my son, who was a preemie at 32 weeks that couldn't nurse himself, we ended up after he was on a ventilator, he was in a different hospital. But any baby that's taken away from you, at the very least, you can pump your breasts to get the milk and still have it given to the baby. And even in his case, because it was four and well, three and a half weeks until he really could nurse, but he took to nursing like a champ as soon as he got the opportunity to get to the breast. Whereas before he had to be gavage fed because he was so early. But most babies do not have trouble adjusting to that. And if they will give the baby the breast milk, it still gives the baby the best immunity. 
I mean, one of the whole reasons we say to breastfeed at least until six months is that it's not until six months that the baby has had their primary series of vaccinations that protects them from all sorts of different diseases. Um, that breast milk may help, but also getting their vaccines done before a mom would quit is very important. Oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was reading and studying that baby's immunity is only at like 50% or something like that. I don't know. I can't remember the exact numbers by six months and then at 90% at two years. And then I think at like seven, it's like, a, a you know, fully active immunity. Well, they're developing good immunity all along. But of course, your vaccines are helping stimulate that things like tetanus and haemophilus and pneumonia, um, all kinds of things. But some of that immunity they would get in the breast milk, Mm -hmm. uh, even from mom. And of course, that's the whole reason now that it's recommended that all women when they're pregnant get a tetanus vaccine and that they get a flu vaccine so that that immunity can be passed better. Unfortunately, the tetanus, the Tdap vaccine, isn't available in China for pregnant women. That was a whole experience I ran through because I, my fourth child, I was pregnant with all of my children here, but my fourth was the first where I went to the U.S. for the birth, and it just happened to be because we had to apply for new visas. So we went back to America when I was about 33 weeks pregnant and got into my first prenatal in America at 34 weeks. Well, the Tdap is normally given before that point. So nobody thought to ask me if I had had it. And then when I checked into the hospital to give birth, they're going through the checklist and they're like, so when did you get your Tdap? And I was like, what are you talking about? And they're like, you haven't had this. You have to get it. And I was so confused because I'd never heard of such a thing having had all my babies here. But yeah, they're they're very cautious about what vaccines they give in pregnancy. And so that's one. Unfortunately, pregnant moms actually can't get in China. So I've had calls or text messages about a baby having been exposed, like a brand new baby being exposed to COVID, whether a sibling gets it or a relative or whatever. Uh, what are some symptoms, again, that... Uh, you know, normally with my kids, they're older, they get a high fever, I stay home with them, I watch them, I give them ibuprofen. But I feel like if I had a tiny baby, I would be a lot more nervous about keeping them home. So do you have any thoughts about like when they should head for the hospital or medications or anything like that with a tiny baby? Well, so if you have a child at home that you know, was probably the one that brought home whatever infection, you can probably say your baby is getting it from the other child. So there's a little bit of confidence in that. And you can see what happened to the other child. If you weren't sure, is this a cold or is this COVID? Again, it would be what what symptoms does the baby have? A baby under six months that runs a very high fever probably warrants a visit to the doctor in almost all cases, unless it's a very fleeting fever, but certainly you can use the liquid Tylenol, paracetamol, or acetaminophen in an infant. It's always based on their weight. So that might be something that you would end up even giving the doctor a call about if you weren't sure. Mm -hmm. And then you could discuss the symptoms your other child has with them. And then again, with COVID, the breathing would be an issue. Now, my sister's family back Christmas of 2020 
One of the nephews brought home COVID to the entire family, 15 people. Two adults over 70 who thought they just had a cold. It wasn't very exciting, but it was the seven-month-old baby that ended up with bad vomiting and diarrhea. So that's the other symptom to watch for in children. And he did have to be admitted to the hospital and was on IVs for two weeks. Now, he did recover, but as you can imagine, that was a very difficult time. Mom was breastfeeding, and she stayed with him in the hospital, but she wasn't, at that point, she wasn't allowed to leave the hospital to even see her other children. That was difficult. Yeah. It's hard watching our little ones suffer. Yes, it is. But the breastfeeding would still be the best thing to do if you are able well, what I always used to tell patients is we just hope that the mom gets sick before the baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because then you're passing some immunity. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. I have a few clients that have uh, a new baby and a maybe like toddler age baby. Would you even maybe suggest giving some breast milk, like some pumped breast milk or something to the like the older child? Uh, a little harder to make a case for, but it, it certainly could be done. Oh, I remember a question I had from earlier that I, I skipped over. The pregnant moms that have had COVID, just, you know, pregnancy is hard as it is. And then you've just had COVID. I'm going through COVID. I'm on day 10 and I'm still miserable. I'm still just congested and all that. I can't even imagine being pregnant on top of that. What are some thoughts that you have for somebody who's recovering from COVID in pregnancy? Well, uh, mostly it's treat the symptoms Try to make sure you get enough rest. Try to make sure you're eating right. There is the advantage, hopefully a pregnant woman or even a nursing woman would be still on a multivitamin, which does help. We do think vitamin C helps your immune system, but it doesn't help you to start vitamin C once you're sick. It helps if you take it on a regular basis, and then typically you won't be as sick if your immune system is in good shape. So lots of time and uh, make sure you're resting a lot. This it feels like the energy part of COVID has been really hard for a lot of people I know. Yes. And some people are definitely more tired, more run down. There are some people I've seen recently that have had more trouble sleeping at night. Mm -hmm. And it's not a coughing thing or a sore throat or even congestion. It's just they're having difficulty sleeping. And I have had a few cases where I gave them medicine just to help them sleep, to try and get that back on track. How long do you see them suffer with that? Oh, usually it's only a few days, but... You know, if they waited to come in and it's been five days since they've slept well or a week, you know, they're pretty miserable by the time I see them. So typically I would give them enough medicine to last for, say, a week or two, because once they can kind of get back into a sleep pattern, they'll usually do okay. I know I struggled with sleeping with COVID. And again, like you said, it wasn't because I was coughing or had congestion. It was, and I wasn't even achy or feverish. It was just, I couldn't sleep. And my friend also suffered like every other day. She was like, tonight's my night. I can sleep. <laughs> and she's like, tonight's the night that I won't sleep. Right. So Dr. Gloria, in these times of, you know, facing, fighting COVID and maybe feeling a little bit nervous with, Having a baby that's sick, do you have any words of encouragement to the people? Well, of course, I mean, it's normal encouragement to any mom is 
get help where you can. In other words, if you have to ask your husband with for help with things or family members, or if you have an IE or parent around, anybody that can help you, you know, try to keep your focus on you taking care of the baby and let other people do other things for you. That can help a lot. And to, you know, with moms, we always try to tell them, sometimes you have to sleep when your baby's taking a nap in order to get enough rest yourself. Obviously, that's difficult if you have another child at home. But, you know, sometimes you have to get your sleep when you can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a advice I try to say all the time. <laughs> yeah. Talking to other people is always a good idea, even if it's long distance on phone, sometimes calling mom back in the States or wherever, or whoever you would find most encouraging. Mm. You know, for me, it was always my sister. She was a couple years older and had three kids before I had my kids. And she could always encourage me. And in fact, she was the probably the person I wanted to come help me the most when my kids were born. Yeah, it's hard to remember that people long distance can I know a lot of us miss our family, but that they can still be an encouragement, you know, staying in touch with them. And I know my my in-laws do a call with my kids every single week. They actually teach like a little class because we homeschool. And that has been really helpful to have a period of time where they're essentially babysitting. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, I'm in the house, but my in-laws are teaching them. But online. (laughs) Yes, I can do something else. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Gloria, for being with us today. Sure. I know it's been a really hectic time in the hospitals. It is. It is. And we'll learn more as time goes by. But uh, I do think we have a lot of information already on COVID. Yeah, it's one of the benefits of being a country that's gotten it later. We can see what everybody else has done first. And <laughs> Yes. That's true. Well, you've had lots of uh, good information. And I before we were recording, you know, you were sharing some of your stories. I think we're going to have to have you on again in the future. And we appreciate your experience. You definitely have had had your share of struggles that you've gone through. (laughs) Well, I always felt that the reason I had them was so that I could be more empathetic for other people. And it surely uh, does help, you know, when somebody's lost a child, and then they realize that you have two, they they feel like you really know a little more about what you're talking about. It's true. Yeah. Well, thanks again. And Jacqueline, thanks for kind of taking the lead on this one, because I'm feeling so sorry, I'm trying really hard not to cough at the moment. <laughs> uh, one day I too will be on the other side of this COVID. <laughs> it will get better every day. <laughs> all right Jacqueline until next time yeah until next time see you thanks thank you sure bye 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 what else was I supposed to say? I think what you said was fine, just end it. (laughs)